Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi there, this is Kevin Lindsay, co-host of the Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, it's my pleasure to be in conversation with Dr. Tyson Yonkaporta about his book, Sand Talk, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World. Although it is not described as such on the back of my paperback edition, Sand Talk is definitely a systems thinking book. Readers will recognize themes like nonlinearity, the space between nodes in a system, interconnectedness, complexity, and those patterns that connect. Most of the authors we talk to on this channel have built upon the work of 20th century, primarily European and American systems thinkers and cyberneticians. In Santoc, Tyson Yonkaporta stands on the shoulders of the original systems thinkers, elders, the keepers and teachers of ancient knowledge, to show us that by emphasizing community and connection over individualism and fragmentation, and by cultivating respect for the land, we can address the urgent challenges we face. Each chapter of this book includes some sand talk, invoking an aboriginal custom of drawing images on the ground to convey knowledge. The table of contents is a beautiful compilation of Yonkaporta's sand talks. I cannot do it justice here, so I'll leave it to readers to explore it on their own. Tyson Yonkaporta is an arts critic and researcher and a member of the Appalachian clan in far north Queensland. He carves traditional tools and weapons and also works as a senior lecturer in Indigenous Knowledges at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia, one of my favorite cities, by the way. Welcome, Tyson, and thanks for joining me. Hi, how are you doing, Kevin? I am great. It's, again, such a pleasure yeah, yeah. to be talking to you today. So to start our conversation, I'd like you to share a bit of your story and uh, tell us about what led to your current work and the writing of this book. Um, oh, it's just, a, it's just, I don't know, it's just the work of your life and the way you live, um, you know, from day to day. Um, you know, a lot of the things I'm talking about are just, uh, there aren't these layers of abstraction built into the stack, you know, of your lived culture and your lived reality. You know, so there isn't really meta language for a lot of the things I'm trying to talk about. You know, so it's trying to find ways of inducting people into that, but without sort of um, doing too many layers of abstraction. So the best way to do that is in those traditional modalities of, you know, story and image and, you know, a sense of dialogue, a sense of yarning, you know, um, and a sense of relation. You know, so that's what I, you know, uh, constantly referring to the relationship between myself mm-hmm. and the reader as us two, because that's the first pair, you know, in a network of relations. Um, you know, so it's about, you know, basically, you know, making sure the reader is bringing, you know, as much information to the book as I'm bringing to it. And there's some kind of dialogue, a sense of sitting together. Um, you know, that's basically it, because it's a, it is, it is a tricky sort of, um, knowledge system to be sharing about and trying to translate. So, you know, in that translation space, you know, the, the anthropology is kind of, it's often sort of, uh, it's sort of viewing the indigenous culture through this one lens and, you know, seeking to explain it through different theories and systems of thought. 
um, that are quite young and it sort of it never quite gets there. Um, but I guess this book is kind of skipping all those stages and doing it the other way. It's turning that lens back. Uh, so it's sort of viewing the world through an indigenous lens. So it's sort of looking back at, you know, usually where the, the observation would be running in the other direction. It's kind of reverse anthropologizing it, you know, um, mm-hmm. and sort of in that process of just following through, you know, the stories and thought experiments, you know, that come out from trying to translate what you might see through an indigenous complexity lens, looking at the world, it's, um, you kind of learn about those processes. Uh, not quite by osmosis, but certainly not through declarative knowledge either. Um, so, you know, kind of, I don't know, it sort of uh, it seems to be transforming a few people, you know, in, in sort of uh, their scope of um, not what they know, but sort of what can be known, if that makes any sense. It's kind of. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think the experience of reading the book, um, I would encourage, you know, listeners to read it slowly and and really try to um experience it and go back to the the images that that you share um you you talk about the you know the carvings and 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 for each chapter you you know you open up with with that and a description of of the carving and um and you know i I feel like i'm almost there with you i it's a very kind of physical experience you know i want to be there with you I, i want to be sharing in that experience with you so i think you do a really uh, interesting job of, of conveying that kind of bringing the reader in, uh, in a very visceral way. And it's in a, it's, it's sort of from a, I mean, um, you know, my, my status and level of knowledge in my community is quite low, you know, but that's this, it's, it's such a, a, a rich and deep intellectual tradition that, you know, about the level of a teenage boy's knowledge is actually, there's a lot that you can sit with there. And it yeah. sort of makes sense to be um, coming in alongside, you know, uh, somebody rather than having an expert talking to you about it. And, you know, so it's, it's yeah, very much a novice book, you know, because I'm a novice with complexity mm-hmm. theory too, although, you know, I get to talk to a lot of amazing people and, and thinkers all around the planet in this space, which I'm not quite sure why um, they're interested. I, I just often, like, I'm just, I don't know, I, I feel like in the field I'm, I'm like Borat or something everyone's being very polite <laughs> but i'm like where is uh, this strange attractor you know um <laughs> yeah so but it's um i don't know there's something about that that you know rather than reading about yeah. some experts opinion on indigenous knowledge or you know uh project pseudoscientific projections of what a paleolithic past might have been like you know yeah. to like form the yeah. basis of all of the disciplines that there is actually something uh, concrete and foundational in sort of sitting, right. you know, in, together at, at a sort of 101 entry level and just discussing universes yeah. of knowledge where there are, you know, just endless combinatorials of ideas to put together in dialogue, yeah. um, you know, at that basic yeah, sure. level. It's the, and there's, it's, it's funny, like quite a few interesting and amazing innovations come out from that. Absolutely. Before we go too much further, I think it probably would be useful um, for everyone listening to this to really understand how you define um, indigenous knowledge. You you do that. I I think early in the book, it was useful for me to to hear that, or rather to read that, and just kind of understand like what I'm um, mm. contemplating um, as I went through the book. Would you mind taking a moment well, to do? I that? mean, often there's that there's that idea of indigenous sort of meaning 
you know, that uh, sort of tribal, you know, um, you know, village life, people living outside of civilization, uh, that sort of thing. And that doesn't quite capture what our community community is. And then from inside our community, there are a lot of different uh, sort of middle-class academic frames, um, which also don't necessarily connect with all of us as well. Um, there are there are a lot of different sort of ways of trying to define this, you know, what indigenousness is and what the indigenous community is. And, and a lot of them kind of fall short. Uh, a lot of them are really just based in sort of opposition to the colonial center, you know, so you, it's a sort of a politicized and um, identitarian kind of definition of indigenousness, you know, as being, you know, other and being, being other. Right. And that's in all of those, all of those definitions are true, but then there's more. Um, and so I try to sit in this idea of, um, you know, that an, an indigenous community is a community that, that still holds a memory, uh, holds memories and patterns of what it is to live a life embedded in the landscape. You know, so there are still, um, you know, norms and, you know, attitudes and understandings and knowledges um, that are following the patterns of creation and that are in a kind of symbiosis with the landscape. You know, so they're not separated by those layers of abstraction that I've talked about before. So that's that's kind of I see. you know uh, where I'm coming from. Got it. Um, you write recent traditions have emerged that break down creation systems like a virus, infecting complex patterns with artificial simplicity, exercising a civilizing control over what see some see as chaos. And when I read that. And I, you know, read other parts of the book that maybe some of the listeners haven't had the chance to yet, but made me wonder about the the emu making the hell of a mess as you as you yeah. described. And can you can you share a little bit about you know some of these some of the stories and uh, you know the emu the akinda? I, I don't even know if I'm I'm saying that one right because it's not one I'm familiar animal I'm familiar with. Um, can you talk about that a little bit. How does it play into this the, the story? Yeah, here? well, it kind of. I, I do reference uh, some of the creation stories in there, uh, but sort of just the parts that are relevant. I mean, there is, you know, there's a lot of discussion, of course, out there about narcissism um, in the world, and it does it, it does seem to have gotten away on us, you know. And um, I, I, if you, I mean, if you look at uh, indigenous law, the, the law of the land, you know, a, a lot of our um, governance systems, economic systems, and all those sorts of things that are land based. Um, they very much seem to be uh, in place to deal with narcissists, to make sure that never gets out of check, which sort of makes sense if you think about it from, you know, if you, if you align that, then come alongside the idea of, you know, the commons, the tragedy of the commons, multipolar traps, you know, um, you know how to prevent the, the evolution of um, rivalrous dynamics, you know, in, in human systems. You know where somebody gains an un, uh, an unfair competitive advantage by polluting the commons or yeah. um, exploiting the commons in some way, and then everybody has to be doing that, and then it's a race to the bottom. Um, yeah, our culture pretty much is one that's evolved to um, to deal with that issue. Um, you know, as as a way to make sure that you know uh, narcissists are dealt with in a way that's not just sort of banishing them or excluding them or anything like that but actually sort of transforming them um and transforming the community mm. along with that um you know and there are lots of, there are lots of checks and balances in you know our, our systems 
which are so, you know, in such a profound symbiosis, you know, like in a, a, a stack, you know, with the land, you know, once again, where each layer is, is sort of, um, it's sort of mapped uh, responsively across the, the previous layer and then the layer to follow, you know, so your social systems, economic systems, governance systems, uh, everything else is just um, is really sort of tracking that landscape and um, uh, particularly in adaptive ways because the landscape's always moving. So everything we're doing needs to be moving with the land. Um, otherwise, you end up, uh, yeah, everything kind of falls apart. Um, yeah, so I guess um, <clears throat> the, the danger uh, that was sort of recognised early on in Australia is, um, is that... Oh, you know, uh, individuals or, you know, um, you know, hierarchies or powerful people uh, having interventions in the landscape or in, you know, the economy or anything else, uh, these direct and linear interventions that are self-serving um, because these always produce externalities. It's always about outsourcing that entropy uh, to other systems, you know, mm-hmm. further afield from your living space. And so, yeah, and that always ends up being a self-terminating algorithm i mean every culture yeah you know it's like you know um you know every teenager experiments with drinking too much or you know drugs or something like that and i guess every young culture experiments with civilization from time to time um we have had a few here (laughs) so in uh, victoria where i'm living now that you know there are um you know archaeological sites of you know permanent sedentary sort of almost like cities where there was stone masonry and um, uh, uh, canals aquaculture canals for um, uh, farming eels and then production lines where those smoking eels and then exporting them right across the continent and all that sort of thing um, that was just a few thousand years ago so um, you know everybody when they're young they experiments with civilization from time to time Zimbabwe yeah. did that that's what Zimbabwe means it's you know house of stone you know there are all those ruins there and I mean, archaeologists still haven't really dug around and explored that. They've just kind of dismissed it and said, well, there must have been white people here <laughs> at some stage thousands of years ago. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, no one could have built this. But the elders in Zimbabwe, oh, they have that God. story. Of, you know, um, yeah. this experiment yeah. with civilization, which civilization is basically, right. like I said, it's that outsourcing of entropy. Um, you know, you get on an infinite growth model. But of course, you run up against the finite resources thing. It's just basically a community decides to break the laws of physics by becoming dependent yeah, on growth yeah. to support these hierarchies, and therefore becoming dependent on the importation of resources. And that pretty quickly kills all the land around you and forces you to, um, you know, yeah. go into an empire. And everybody's experimented with it. Everybody's learned from it and moved on. Some people are still doing it, and. Um, you know, this most recent permutation, you know, got a bit of a, um, uh, got to kick the can down the road a little bit longer than usual because uh, generally the land and the law of the land and just the laws of physics will sort out a civilization. Um, you know, within 500 to 1,000 years, it'll, it'll collapse that thing, you know. Uh, this one's sort of got a bit yeah. of a, um, a temporary reprieve, you know, with the fossil fuels thing, but... Um, that reprieve has meant that it, it's had to exponentially increase the outsourcing of entropy um, to the yeah. point that, you know, there are no more syst- over there's to outsource it to and it's kind of everywhere. So these illusory, you know, violence-free sort of 
technocratic, you know, utopian bubbles that part of the world is living in and benefiting from. A very small minority mm-hmm. of people. You know, the semi-permeable membranes around those are getting more and more permeable by the day. And, you know, those Absolutely. bubbles are getting smaller and smaller. And, um, you know, neighborhoods that used to be, uh, yeah. you know, nice and clean and safe and they're, they're becoming less safe. And, you know, air that used to be more breathable is becoming less breathable. And uh, pretty much all that entropy is coming home, along with, uh, yeah. you know, millions of people who have been displaced by those extractive and, um, and entropic dumping sort of activities um, and sort yeah. of are following their resources <laughs> yeah. back to, back that to narcissism where exported to. Uh, my God, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, uh, I, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I so resonated with that outsourcing of, of yeah. entropy. Um, brilliant turn of phrase that um it just says so much in in just a in just a couple of words um in previous episodes i've, I've talked to um some systems thinkers and authors who uh believe there's a strong need to embrace other ways of knowing um i haven't really read anything beyond that in terms of of, of what that means and and uh, um you know what it would look like to to do that um I, I, you know, Nora Bateson, who I interviewed a few months ago, I think you might know her. Um, she talked about blind spots in, in current systems thinking, saying, you know, systems thinking is really probably the best we've got right now, but it's just, it's missing mm-hmm. so much. Um, can you talk about the role you see Indigenous wisdom playing, um, perhaps in providing what you call a framework for the understandings needed in the co-creation of sustainable yeah. systems? I was really curious well, about that. I mean, statement. for a start... Um you know, it's it's not wisdom, you know, as as knowledge to be extracted or information. I think a lot of people commodify it in that way. Um, but then it's also, it's not just representation, like the idea of, you know, oh, we're going to center Indigenous voices. Like, you know, yeah. I, I think, you know, um, from my perspective, it's about, um, it's about, you know, utilizing appropriate Indigenous thought and Indigenous thinkers, you know. Um, I mean, there's heaps of wisdom you know, out there and, and you can have oh, the black man and the red man and the white man and the yellow man need to come together from the four directions and, and become brothers. And that's lovely and wise. And you can sort of put that on a poster on the wall. You know what I mean? And people consume that yeah. wisdom like, 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 sure. like wildfire, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help, you know, for a start, it's, it's based in a very outdated sort of, um, wrong <laughs> view of like there being four biological races and all that sort of thing so that kind of thing yeah. is like you know it's about what is useful you know and and what is useful is seldom the content i mean unless you're extracting that content like you know you're you know um getting up you're finding out about a plant medicine a plant that you can extract you know a compound from and then synthesize something similar and and then make and then own that plant and own that medicine you know you know so there's that level of content and then there's the sort of i don't know um sort of psychotech and and spirit tech of of you know just these little affordances of um you know groovy things that you know make people feel like they're um expanding their mind and and all that sort of thing you know these are just like you know people trying to uh sanitize uh, little bits and pieces of indigenous knowledge into these um you know, um, 
I don't know, spirit tech, psycho tech of, of just ecstatic loop, ecstatic mm. loops of, mm-hmm. like, you know, breath work or, you know what I mean? So they can, you know, get a bit yeah. of joy out of that yeah. for a minute. That's all great. It's awesome that people are doing that. It's lovely that people are doing yoga with didgeridoo vibrational healing and all that sort of stuff. That's nice, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's not where I'm looking at. You know, I'm, I'm looking at knowledge systems. Um, I'm looking at knowledge processes. I'm looking at um, indigenous methods of inquiry and what there is there that can be useful, you know, uh, to add, to bring to the mm. system. Mm. Um, you know, mm. like, for example, uh, a, a lot of um, the scientific method will leave out uh, the variables of time and place uh, in their inquiry. Yeah. But these are always central variables in indigenous inquiry and they help, you know. Uh, so one example I use is the fish oil. Fish oil trials always have variable results. You know, you've always got fish oil, but you know, it's, there's no proven link that fish oil does any has any health benefit <laughs> because the the results have been so variable in the kidney trials, etc. Um, yeah, well, it's right. because they're not they're not including time and place as variables in that. You know, so so we know we understand that 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 fish fat is only medicinal in a certain season. You know, in certain places and in a certain season, like for example, in in mm. one place, mm. it's only medicinal when you see the yellow flowers, you know, in the trees, and that's mm. when you harvest the fish fat. And so that's why that's, they're getting such variable okay. results in the trials. You know what I mean? So it's just, I mean, it's just, huh. it's it's yeah. kind of common sense stuff, um, but stuff that that clearly does make a difference. Where you don't have to take a leap right. of faith, yeah. um, where there is a measurable and immediate uh, difference and change in your in your process that makes um you know what you're designing a, a hell of a lot more um productive efficient uh yeah. complex more more yeah. importantly to be able to see those complex patterns and make predictions you know that right. include the uh the pattern breakers uh, rather than just sort of doing yeah. this patternicity all the time of you know observing a mechanical universe and then you know yeah. wanting to have that stability you know, um, that doesn't really take into account irrationality, the irrational behavior of people, but also the irrational behavior of land and um, <laughs> the universe right. behaves irrationally. Yeah. Um, you know, so indigenous knowledge is good at predicting those pattern breakers and, and seeing the deeper pattern in those things. So, you know, all that kind of stuff and more. Yeah, that, that's so useful to me at, at this point, you know, having just finished the book. Um, I was going to ask you this question um, uh, around this this comment you make about not seeing, you don't predict science embracing indigenous methods, methods of inquiry anytime soon, that it's only wanted at the level of what, not how. And, and I think that maybe what you were just saying is, is the answer to that, that question. Um, and that it's not about some come to the table with, mm. you know, this indigenous thinking and help us solve this problem that we're facing right now. Come on, cough it up. It's, it's more about the, 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 the intersection of the, of the yeah. knowledge systems. That seems to yeah. be what you're getting at. But that's, I wrote that before, um, before I was aware of this kind of emergent, um, sort of critical mass of people who are interested in that, who are interested in indigenous mm. process and indigenous complexity complexity systems thinking all the rest you know there is a hunger for that out there mm. like um Absolutely. You know, for, for so long indigenous knowledge has been about you know oh you got to recognize our knowledge it's actually good 
you know, and then trying to convince yeah. the world that it's worth something. And I don't know. And, um, yeah, trying to make people feel good about that and win people over. And, and that's what the business of uh, Indigenous knowledge, you know, as a discipline has been for such a long time, is that there is a critical mass of people now going, yeah, all right, what do you got? Uh, show us. And then, but, yeah. you know, we've been in the business so long of just convincing people that it's worth doing that we're like, oh, well, hang on a minute. Uh, I need mm. to think about it. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? Um, I see. And that's, I mean, the most important thing about Indigenous knowledge is that it's contextual. You know, so our knowledge is sitting in uh, a set of global relations that is now, you know, so anybody who's drawing on yeah. something that's from, uh, you know, a point of time in the past uh, that's not recognizing what is, you know, <laughs> what is important right now and what the problems are that need to be responded to right now, you know, is, um, well, that, that knowledge is, um, you know, it's good knowledge, but it's, it's, it's not what people are needing. It's not what the world is needing right now. Right. You know, um, so are you still feeling the same about this sentiment that you expressed um, about, you know, you said you've, you were quite careful in the, in the writing of the book um, about the indigenous knowledge that you chose mm -hmm. to present in, in the book. And you said, because you know how ideas can get tangled up and twisted in the marketplace oh, yeah. of civilization. And you write that perhaps the worst possible outcome of this work would be civilizing civilization embracing these yeah. ideas. So I was really curious about what you meant by that. And, and are you still yeah, thinking the same? Well, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, the globalizing system that we have and this sort of rolling, massive, complex meta crisis <laughs> that's going on around the globe. You know, this is um, this has become a self-organizing, you know, dynamic, autopoetic system. You know, it's um, it's very clever. <laughs> it's pretty much I, I I almost see it as sentient mm. at this stage, you know. And it is very yeah. good whether you call I don't care what you call it, you know, liberalism, you know, uh, the Anglosphere, um, you know, industrial civilization. It, it doesn't really matter what you call it. It's there, <laughs> and it's 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 very very smart. You know, it's a smart civilization. Um, you know, it's it's running on some pretty pretty good algorithms, although there's a bit of a self-terminating algorithm in there as well. And it's very good at absorbing yeah. the jujitsu's its way through any threat. So any uh, idea, ideology, um, you know, data, understanding, anything, movement uh, that rises in opposition to it, it's very good at absorbing it and taking on the branding of that thing and then sanitizing it and putting it to work in service of the system. You know, and that, that pretty much happens with every single movement, you know, um, you know anything that could help uh, actually stop the wheel <laughs> is actually, you know, becomes grease for the wheel, if you know what I mean. And so, you know, I often yeah. see this and th 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 there's a few things that I do in, in trying to translate things into metaphors, you know, the, I see them sort of starting to take the shape of a heuristic. And then I think, oh man, somebody's going to take that up. Somebody's going to pick that up and that'll be, you know, the Aboriginal five steps to, and it's like, oh, no, no, don't do it. So that's why I'm really careful. Like I make it clear that I'm making the, the, the choice to not capitalize those things. You know, don't call them yeah. this. Yeah. Like as soon as you give it a name, it's stuffed, it's finished. A methodology you know, for the five steps. To, yeah. Do not have a list of things to do to save the world. Right. Do not have a, um, a heuristic, you know, do not have a five parts of, this or that um you know the idea that it's just a way in 
and you keep you know just uh, applying your own metaphors but then switching the metaphors around so that's why i mix it up a bit like you could you know like i have uh you know, an elder who, who calls one of the processes I'm talking about respect, connect, reflect, direct, because she's into mm-hmm. rhyme, you know. I recall. Uh, but I think of yeah. it personally as spirit, heart, head, and hands. Or, you know, yeah. al- also there's heaps of other metaphors yeah. there. You can do roots, trunk, branches, leaves, you know. Um, it's about a, a way of moving yeah. through and making sure you're not doing things the wrong way around. Which basically, in the yeah. end, it's about, making sure you're seeing the entire system of relations before you intervene that that's all that is and you can yeah. just tell people that yeah but without a story or yeah. a metaphor you know or you know a process that they can sort of walk yeah. through but then they need to transform right. it and make their own without that the sentence doesn't mean anything yeah do yeah. not observe yeah. a system from outside of that system and definitely do not i mean that's well, an intervention in itself but definitely then don't act on that observation and seek to change, you know, I'm going to go in here and change right. this system. You know, like even people who do, well, and that's, I've and got that's a great definitely... Bono example um, I can offer after. Sure, love him. So I just didn't want to cut you off from what you were um, saying. <laughs> so bookmark that. Oh, no, no, I was just, I, I mean, there's so many things that you're saying that I want to pick up on. And I, but I, I want to hear, I want to hear from you. I don't it's want to hear my mess, own voice. It's such a mess though, isn't it? It's but a mess of ideas. And how do you navigate your way through oh, it? it is. Um, so it doesn't um, have to be question and answer. They, you I, can just, you can just. You can just okay. yarn about it All too right. if you like, because it flows better like that, and we find I, a better path I, through. I love, I love a yeah. good yarn. Now oh, this is this is amazing. It's, um, but you know, one of the things that 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 struck me when you were you were talking is, um, I was I was thinking to myself, you know, you you probably won the battle with your your publisher who was probably wanting to say the five things to do to apply systems thinking to you know save the world. I I and the reason I say that is I loved the. The, the the section on um the different minds ancestry mind or so rather ancestor mind kinship mind pattern mind it, it, those and and then the comment that you make about you know the opportunity to to use those together um and the relationship between different systems was just so um you know and 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 for me I, you know I've, I've spent my my whole career as a product marketer so I, I love things like that. I love things that I can I kind know. of take. And did it? Yeah. I don't know. Did it work? And, did it destroy it for you a bit when I took them all, mapped them onto a hand, and then closed the hand into a fist and just crushed them all together? Did that kind of did it break it down bit, a bit? Really. I, 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 no, it, oh it, man, it was I just very I did not want to leave a heuristic in your head, man. No, I, I, I understood <laughs> what my, you were doing. I, I'm, and, I'm so but, worried about the marketing that I mean, I didn't win the battle with the publisher. My original title for the book was Forever LTD. And that was a joke from the book about, you know, you know, they'll take this stuff, yeah. this forever knowledge, yeah. and then, well, you know, it's I, forever I, limited. They'll, they'll, they'll sanitize it and then corporatize it. They'll take these things and then it'll become a consultancy. Then it'll become like a, you know, yeah. a black McKinsey and then we're, we're finished. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I completely hear you. Um, and to- going totally off script here, and I have so many good questions I want to get to, but on that one, um, you know, I, I, this has been my big question with this book is, well, what do we do with this? Because I, I, it, it, the book has excited mm-hmm. me and it has made me, it's inspired me to, to, to think about how, um, you know, how I can bring this, me- how I can help you with this message or how, how I can bring it to my work. And so I kind of feel like if you don't do it, 
someone else will, like you said. And and so well, is there a are. way to plenty of people me. are. But then plenty of people are, are not okay. as well. And they're the ones who are doing amazing things. <laughs> plenty of people are trying to capture but, bits of the book and do something yeah. with it. But these are just little islands of death that don't go anywhere. Yeah. Is it not enough just to be excited in the world and to move in the world with that excitement? Maybe maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe that's the adolescent in me. You know, I really appreciate it. You know, you, you know, I was thinking uh, Tyson's no adolescent when I like re reading. I am in our <laughs> culture. In the book. That's it's not, the, not that's that much. We just got me. an older culture, but, um, so an adolescent is, um, you know, a, yeah, a doctor. Yeah, yeah. But so so maybe it's my adolescence speaking. You know, the impatience or the 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 desire to go act on this in 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 some mm. way. Uh, you know, cause you know, when, when I, I just feel like it in many ways is, is kind of that missing mm. piece from so much of what we're mm. talking about. Um, I, think I spend a lot yeah, of time on, the, on the missing piece thing. There's something there. We, yeah. We will get back to that. Yeah. So you, you, you were just okay. saying you spend a lot Let, of time. I, I spend a lot of time on mm. Vancouver Island up on uh, the Canadian West coast. Uh, it's my other home and, and um, you know, where I, I plan to be back in you know, within a couple of years. And um, you know, just the, the work that's happening there with our local indigenous communities and uh, first nations people. And um, it, you know, it's just, it, it there, there is so much uh, leaning mm. in on the part of, you know, the colonizers to, to sincerely bring this work to the mm. big work. And I guess that's kind of where I'm, where I, and when I say the big, you know, this is like, all right, no more lines, you, you know, indigenous, non-indigenous, you're from there, I'm from here, whatever. We've got a big mm. thing we got to fix. And so we got to, all of us need to bring all yeah. our capacities to the problem and i guess that's kind of where i'm that's at that's exactly it but where, where to look is um where the useful missing pieces are and they the useful missing pieces are at the foundations of the disciplines the stuff that a lot of really good work and rigorous work in the disciplines uh like psychology economics everything that you can think of and especially right across the complexity sciences uh, particularly in you know game three theory and all the rest of it um you know they're are missing pieces or wrong pieces that are more like pseudoscience in the foundational knowledge. It's it's in that part of the discipline that's built on the idea of um, when we were cavemen, you know, that idea of going, okay, so we, we're going to explain human behavior, you know, from an evolutionary perspective based on our projections of what Paleolithic life must have been like, you know. So there are lots of projections back. And yeah, a lot of it is poor logic, and it's really interesting when you look. It's from very smart people who would normally not stand for such threats to validity, but but they just let it slide, mm. <laughs> and they actually, you know, are proponents of these things. So you hear like this idea, um, like if people are looking at information, you know, information theory, um, different theories of information, data, all these kinds of things. You know, they'll talk about, oh, you know, um, yeah, as human beings in uh, cavemen, you know, used to have an oral culture. And, you know, the problem with that was the problem of Chinese whispers. You know, one one person would say, you know, pass on the story and then the next person would slightly change it and pass it on to the next. And eventually you don't have an accurate thing. 
now we have ways to store information accurately, you know, and empirically to share the truth. And it's just like, that's just what yeah. they imagine. That would be like, as a person who is, I don't know, what's, what would be the word for orality? Um, but it's illiterate, who are illorelate or something, <laughs> you know, people who have really yeah. poor oral literacy. Um, that's what happens for them when they <laughs> pass on messages. They get garbled. You know, yeah. but in our way, it's, um, you know, we have very strict things in place. You, you're not allowed to do anything until you can do it perfectly. For example, we have pedagogies of, you know, you have to observe until you so, you've so inhabited the being of that master that you're observing that you mm. are able after so much observation to get it right the first time. And it has to be perfect the first mm. time. And that includes with story ceremony and particularly with yeah. uh, information and knowledge about the world around you it has to be passed on perfectly um, it also needs to grow you know through a um, a process of inquiry um, and everything that comes in new knowledge it's done in it's done collectively in groups of people who are seeking constantly to falsify or verify the information and and align it with all the previous information and story so we have very, very strong and strict mm. ways of passing on knowledge that is not mm. Chinese whispers. And until and it seems to be in common, yeah. this seems to be in common, something uh, with indigenous people all around the world. It seems to be, uh, you can see remnants of it in traditions, you know, through Europe, you know, the Welsh still have that in their oral traditions. You know, you can find it in parts of Scotland. You can find it over a lot of Russia. There's not many places in the world where even in France, You'll find there are Basques, um, Basques in France, Basques in Spain. They still have this as well. You know, this is that's what Paleolithic mm. life was like. So just on that thing, the information. Um, but then further on the on the all these ideas about fight or flight, and the idea that well, the human gra- brain grew so big because of hypervigilance. You know, because basically, you know, cavemen didn't have much to think about. You know, they were basically just struggling to survive. And so the only way their brain grew big was, you know, by having to form close-knit social groups to, and being constantly hypervigilant because of predators. And that's rubbish. You know, you go be with any Indigenous community that still has a close relationship with the land and you'll find out that those people always know where the predators are and that no one has ever been taken by a predator because that community is in relation, in relationship with that predator and has such a massive seasonal knowledge and really strict and rigorous methods of inquiry that ensure that everybody knows where all the predators are all the time <laughs> and will avoid those areas or have ways of approaching those predators in relation that, um, you know, it, it's not dangerous. You know, you, 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 you said something, um, it's reminded me of a, of a part of the book and, uh, and where you talk about, um, turnaround. And, uh, and, and how creation is just not this, this thing of the past is this co-creation that just kind of happens all the time. And it, it's kind of locked in these metaphors and, and cultural yeah. practice that, that seems to be what you're, what yeah, you're talking about here. Reasoning. It becomes indelible, yeah. right? Yeah. That's symbolic reasoning. It's, I mean, it's about basically, uh, trans, not just translating, but transforming tangible things into metaphors. You know, and in that action, you're you're moving those things across to an imaginal space or a spirit, a place of spirit, or a theoretical space, intangible space, whatever you want to call it. You're moving those things into there, and then you're manipulating them there to find solutions, 
or to produce other events or combinatorials, which you then bring back, mm -hmm. you know, in, you then have to close that loop and bring it back, trans, transfer the new metaphors back into the reality. And so you have this sort of feedback loop, you know, between sky camp and earth camp, you know, the tangible and intangible theory and practice, if you like, yeah. you know, whatever metaphor you want to use for it, you know, and you've got that constant feedback loop happening between those worlds and it, it works. Um, and it's basically how anything, anything good, you know, in science or technology or anything else is doing that action anyway. Um, you know, mm -hmm. what's, what's not doing that is, um, is the mathematics curriculum in most schools. And the reason people hate mathematics so much is that they're just being asked to sit in the abstraction with no feedback or exchange with the tangible reality. Yeah. Everybody feels yeah. that as a threat to their existence. It's an mm -hmm. existential threat. Mm -hmm. There are studies done where they ask people to draw pictures of their maths teachers. And, and you'd be surprised how many of them have horns and, and Monsters. tongues <laughs> and tails. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Mine would have been. My drawings would have yeah. definitely looked and, like that. And, you know, it's because of that. People feel, you know, that's where the fight or flight response comes in when you have to sit down with yeah. your maths teacher and he's weaponizing boredom, boredom to lobotomize you into a, you know, a, yeah. um, standardized testing consciousness. <laughs> it's horrendous yeah, yeah. you know you, you you talk about cause and effect and these feedback loops and and obviously these are concepts that are pretty familiar to people who who like systems thinking and get into that stuff um but uh use the the the, the phrase symbiotic mm -hmm. dances so when you said exchanges a couple of minutes ago it reminded me of that just these symbiotic uh dances that are needed to kind of create the sustainable responses yeah. that that we that we have, you know, again, it's not like you can't, I know you can't yeah. spend a lot of time talking about it. We just need to invite people to read, to read the book, but can you talk about that for a couple of minutes? Yeah. I, I love that. Oh, I mean, it's, there's heaps more metaphors for that. I, I could say co-evolutionary fitness surfaces there. Yeah, that would do if you read up on that, <laughs> you yeah. do it from another point of view, you know? Um, but you know, from our point of view, you know, adaptation is, you know, it's a team effort. It, it happens, you know, uh, across all different membranes, you know, in the the evolutionary stack, you know, and and there is there is interaction between those things, uh, especially if if all of those things they don't have artificial layers of abstraction in them, then there is a responsiveness, you know, between your governance model yeah. and you know what changes and changes in the landscape, and the landscape changes all the time. Every ecosystem moves a hundred meters a year, you know, uh, most species migrate you know, um, over time, uh, including humans, it's, you know, everything on the planet is migrating, even continents, you know, all the time. So if you don't move with the mm -hmm. land, the land will move you, um, you know, everything, climate, every aspect and entity of climate is, uh, caught up in migration and disruption all the time. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a kind of responsiveness right through your stack. So that's where the layers of abstraction in there are dangerous because they're not responsive to land. You know, land has to be the mycelium of your reality. You know? yeah. And um, as long as you maintain that, then you're good because you can, you can, uh, there can be cataclysmic damage to any other layer of the stack and something will step into that niche and replace it. You know, in the same way that you, you could, uh, yeah, you know, you could kill all the cows on a continent, all the large herbivores. But as long as you've still got the mycorrhiza and you've still got the grass in that stack at the bottom, then something will come along to um, 
you will have some large herbivore that will very soon come and fill that niche or mm. the or mm. will emerge, be emergent uh, in evolutionary yeah, terms yeah. within that system. So I guess that's kind of how that all works. It's about, it's about responsiveness yeah. and, and it's, and it's, yeah. and it needs to be, you need to acknowledge that you're standing on land all the time. And here's the variable that's often lost in most of our disciplines is land, you know, and land has got to be where you're standing yeah. first. And you have to have, be yeah. building your cultures, your knowledge, your theories, everything on an understanding of land and on a responsiveness to a dynamic and shifting landscape. Because that's how yeah. you understand complexity is through the land. And mm. once you have that understanding of land, then that's a transferable skill set that can go across all your disciplines. It can go into your cybernetics and go into everything else. But yeah. those things are silos that sit here and there. They should not be layers of abstraction that are messing up our evolutionary right. stack. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Another theme that I really, uh, you know, I wanted more actually um, in the book was, was the whole theme of time and past, present and future as, as one time. Um, and uh, some listeners might, might've listened to the, the very first podcast I did on this channel was a two part interview I did with Tony Hodgson um, on his book, Systems Thinking for Turbulent Times. And uh, one of the reasons why I loved it was he, he talks about anticipatory systems and, you know, talks about Robert Rosen and his work. But Hodgson coins this term, um, anticipatory present moment. And then he's, he's really also into like this idea of, he has a, a facilitation model called Three Horizons, very much about bringing the future into the present in terms of decision-making and we're breaking down the difference between past, present, future. So I, I love this part. Um, and I just wondered, you know, how, how you think, again, not at the, I'm so tempted to say, how do I use that? How do I, this stuff that, that, that you're, that you're talking about, but how, how do you, how do you think about it just in terms of, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's hitting the mainstream. It's hitting, you know, thinkers like, like Hodgson, um, who may be influenced by, you know, work such as yours. Um, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that one. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's just where it takes your thinking, you know, so that in your, especially in the foundations of things, because you might have some really good thinking models. Um, and maybe this is a really good place to bring that De Bono example in. Uh, and then I can work back around to why it helps to, you know, just have some thought experiments around indigenous physics, you know, <laughs> the physics of an, an indigenous yeah. worldview, mm. um, <clears throat> you know, so, um, well, he, he was asked to, to use his really good lateral thinking tool, uh, to solve, um, Middle East crisis, you know, <laughs> can you resolve the, the Middle Eastern conflict, uh, <laughs> using, your, do that, you know, take care of that. um, and yeah, he, he did some really good lateral thinking, but his foundations were, were wrong. You know, he, he, he had bad story for his foundations and you have to have good story, you know, and land has to be, this, be part of it. There has to be place in it. And because he didn't have that, the whole thing didn't work. So, you know, he went in and of course he starts looking at, he starts looking at the problem. And of course the foundations of his wrong story there tell him that, um, you know, Arabs are the problem. Okay. And so, all right. So what is the Arabs problem? Well, they're being violent. So, uh, the problem is Arab aggression. Okay. So what are some of the things that cause aggression? And he's looking at that. And then it's like, well, uh, vitamin B deficiency causes aggression. 
And wow, I found a study that says uh, Arabs are vitamin B deficient um, in their in the, in these lands. And um, so then he says, so his solution uh, to the Middle East conflict is uh, we need to send um, Vegemite to Arabs. That was his lateral thinking solution. Because if they could just eat some more Vegemite, then they'd stop being aggressive. And then that that's it. That's the whole conflict sorted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you, they, if, yeah. if there are any complexitorians out there, they, they will be just like, you know, almost in agony right now. They'll be having an autistic fit <laughs> on the floor. Like, <laughs> just about the, the horrendous <laughs> simplicity of that. Um, so here's where, you know, systems thinking can go wrong. Here's where any good thinking model can go wrong if you don't have good foundations. Yeah. And you've got to have good foundations by testing yeah. them um, and, you know, moving them around and, and actually challenging them, you know. People forget they, they call themselves empiricists and scientists, but you know they forget that the most important thing there is to be constantly trying to uh, falsify your assumptions. <laughs> you know, right from the start, yeah. you know you're seeking to you're yeah. seeking to um, you know checkmate your null hypothesis all the time. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You know, um, <laughs> you can't just retreat into this. Well, the data doesn't lie. You know. <laughs> I'm an empiricist and bloody blah. It's like, no, 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 no. You you have to do the work. And so it, it is good to look at, you know, indigenous ideas of physics. And, um, you know, so you look at, uh, so especially with, you know, understanding observer effects and then thinking about, you know, um, other ways to, to get around that, um, uh, that will sort of change your interventionist approach to how you, uh, how you try and do change making for a start, you know. Uh, how you conduct experiments, yeah. but then you know how you um, how you approach population health, you know public health, things like this, anything that's a complex problem. If you you know been messing around with stories of indigenous physics, you know there might be some things of use in there. You know, so um, me and a friend of mine, he's a pure mathematician, works with Deloitte, so he's an Aboriginal fellow uh, who does sort of algorithms and stuff for for Deloitte. And we've been playing around lately. Rick Shaw is his name. Uh, he's a Gamilaroi man, Aboriginal man. Um, we've been playing around with this idea of um, Schrodinger's wombat. And so we're kind of, we're just sort of retelling that story because it is a story. The cat right. in the box is a goddamn story, you know. And, and a lot yeah. of the thought experiments, yeah. you know, that kind of translations attempts to turn these, these, these problems or these laws even into metaphors, you know. And so we're looking at Schrodinger's mm. wombat because it doesn't really matter what's in the box. That's, you know, um, you know what's in the box from the signs that you get, the, uh, the information that you get from the context all around. So we're looking at a wombat in a log. And is he there? What's he doing? Is he alive? Is he dead? And then we look at the myriad of signs, um, uh, seasonal signs, you know, contextual knowledge, you know, ancestral knowledge, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, wind direction, you know, uh, temperature, scat, and all the, like, a thousand details of that scat <laughs> in the place, you know, the spore, the, the grass, everything. Yeah. We're looking at a, a, a million things, you know, like, um, and the computational power <laughs> needed to do that. You don't do that on your own. You do it with somebody, you know, and you're both mm-hmm. observing together. But you're not just observing together, and there's still not enough computational power. You're part of a sentient system 
observing itself. And once you're both together there, embedded in that landscape, in that sentient system, which is the biggest supercomputer you could imagine, and you're part of it, observing itself, then you yeah. know exactly where the wombat is and you know exactly what it's doing completely. And so that kind of flips that Schrodinger's so cool. cat on its head because yeah. it's all they're interested in is what's going on inside the box. Not like, who the fuck poisoned this cat? <laughs> we need to fire him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, anyway, yeah, so they're not uh, you know, interested in context. And it's because of that sort of right. you know, second law of thermodynamics you know, this yeah. idea of enclosures and, and vacuums, particularly this fascination, with, yeah. you know, having to have things, uh, complexity break down over time um, when it's completely blocked off from everything else. But we know we don't inhabit systems that are, you know, in a vacuum. We don't inhabit systems yeah. that are not, you know, we, we, we live in vast overlapping systems and they're systems within systems. And every system is constantly, you know, dumping entropy, but that entropy is something else's lunch. So you have these beautiful closed loops where everything's recycled and it's more first law, you know, first law of thermodynamics. And that's our model of time from an indigenous point of view. And it doesn't, it's not a matter of defeating one law or another, you know, it's about well, one model of time or another. It's just, it's useful sometimes to examine something or do a thought experiment, you know, using a, a, a different uh, model of time or a different physics because you never know what you'll find. You know, if you're um, if you're having trouble with the observer effects, uncertainty principle, a million other things, um, sit down and just have a wild session of um, of thought experiment with applying Schrodinger's wombat for a minute, and see what comes out of it. You might yeah. be surprised, and it doesn't do mean that. it doesn't mean yeah. Yeah. Schrodinger's wombat is the truth, or it's a law, or anything like that, or that it's defeated the Western model. Yeah. It's about it really helps to apply different lenses. And science knows this because you'll use ne- you'll yeah. use Newton for a bit, but then if you want your freaking satellite to work, you're going to have to switch. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to need your Einstein for that because um, yeah, I, I hear yeah, you. gravity and time and such. You know, you, science knows that you switch. You know, a theory is only good in a context and only for a certain percentage of the time, and you're supposed to switch between theories, you know, and you're constantly supposed to be adding yeah. to them you know so um why the hell wouldn't yeah. you engage yeah. with other systems i think it's the problem I is know. the dichotomy where well, we that. sort of offset these things as you know i i, I had a problem recently so you know uh, uh, this this uh memory study i did is we did an empirical study three years ago uh that was comparing the ancient greek memory palace memorization technique to an aboriginal song lines memorization technique and you know, there was a huge ceiling effect in the study. So what we could measure of difference was very small, but the Aboriginal technique um, did marginally better. And so, you know, I know someone must have had a quota to fill recently because they dug that up and published it finally. I mean, we couldn't get funding for it, so it wasn't a very good study. And then they finally published, now it goes. And it's it's gone front page, oh, page three in Australia <laughs> to start, but then it's going viral on the web because of the inflammatory headline. It's like, you know, um, ancient Aboriginal memory, you know, defeats the West kind of thing. Memory technique, you know, defeats Western methods, defeats the ancient Greeks. You know, it's like there's always this dichotomy. They've got to be offset against each other. But there's so much much in common between the methods that it's like, Uh, you know, in dialogue there's some some awesome stuff. 
Yeah. You know, the memory palace way has some strengths that could actually yeah. help out the other way. And you know what I mean? So it's just, it's just yeah. inflammatory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, everything's yeah. framed yeah. like that. So, um, so that, that ensures that, you know, know. It, it always has to be, you know, science like, uh, condemning everything else as pseudoscience or, you know, et cetera. Um, I'm happy yeah. to be like, I mean, I mean exactly. the, my, my I, it, book, is, it is pop science. It, it's freaking pop science and, and you can't really call it anything else, you know, but, but, you know, it, it's fun. And the most important thing is research yeah. translation and engaging the public with science in some way, you know, and yeah. you, you don't want to misinform it, it people, does that. but you do want to get people excited yeah. about it. And that's, yeah. you said you're excited and, that, and that's enough, yeah. you know. You get people excited. You got to pe- get people looking at yeah, different definitely. lenses. You got to get people yeah. like, um, you know, interested in, you know, actually, you know, the things that they're reading, the stuff that's coming to them through their algorithms. Get them interested in a method yeah. of inquiry where they're attempting to verify yeah. and falsify things, and they're, they, you know, they're synthesizing, they're comparing, they're collating. You know, they're doing some actual yeah. uh, rigorous analysis, and then, um, you know you won't get as many disturbing trends going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is amazing. I, I love this conversation. I wish we could go on longer, but we do need to wrap yeah, man, it totally up. Right um, and you know, I hope I can continue, uh, the conversation with you at another time. And so, um, a few things that, um, uh, you know, you, you get to at the end of the book, we're going to leave a little bit of a mystery uh, and, and encourage people to, to, to read, read the book. Um, uh, there's some, you, you know, you, you talk about some conversations with some elders, some questions posed to them and, and some of those insights. And I, I, I love them. So again, um, listeners read the book, uh, for those, for those insights. And I love your last words, you know, your very last sentence. So let's put these hands of ours to work. And I think that we don't know all the answers and coming out of this, um, conversation with you, I, I have more questions than I, than I That's had at the right. beginning, to be honest. Um, but the book doesn't and, give any answers, just, you know, but hopefully no. so that's what you, you've accomplished. you'll start finding some, yeah. some really useful yeah. new questions. Yeah. So this has been great. I want to thank you so much for taking the time, um, with me today. So it's been a pleasure meeting you, Tyson. Yeah. Well, thanks for mixing it up a bit, Kevin. Um, it was uh, so so long, and um, so I just want to end. Um, you've been listening to my conversation with Tyson Yankaporta, author of the 2020 book uh, "Sand Talk: How to How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World." Um, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Systems and Cybernetics. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>